0: Over the past 20 years, we have connected ourselves through our devices yep. of laptops and cell phones. And it's, I call good, it liquid software. Li- li- liquid software. Li- I call that part liquid software. We've, yeah. We you can use fax machines, talk to people, email, all those things have been connected into one thing. The next step from there naturally seems like the hardware, our physical lives. And right now we have our house, we have our car, we have our family, but other parts of that are singular in one location. Your house is stuck in one place, your car is stuck in one place, your family is in other places. So when I talk about liquid hardware, I'm talking about making those things accessible from anywhere. And the start of that is already happening with the shared economies. You have Uber sharing your cars, you have shared parking spaces, you have Airbnb sharing houses, you have WeWork sharing work locations, in different places. We're taking it to the next step because we see the future and think that it's going to be way more integrated down the road. And we're trying to get us there.
1: Welcome to Think Bigger, Think Better, where we explore how you can apply insights from visionary leaders and the most provocative philosophers and scientists of our time to make your life and our world a better place. Here's your host, author and speaker, Paul Gibbons.
2: And hey, welcome back to Think Bigger, Think Better. It's been a long time. I spent the entire summer trying to win a world championship poker bracelet, as they're called, and I wasn't successful. One of the hardest things about tournament poker is that you literally bust 8 out of 10 tournaments, and the ones in which you scrape into the prize pool, only 10% of those have substantial prizes, and only a few of those have life-changing money. So it's hard work, it's 12 hour days, eating all the time, sometimes till 5 o'clock in the morning, sometimes eating fast and junk food. It's a very hard way to make an easy living. I had a good trip, but not a great trip, but it was a very long summer. As a consequence, I've not done this for a little while, but I have some amazing shows coming up. After today's episode, we have Depression. Uh, for a world expert. It's claimed Anthony Bourdain, it's claimed Kate Spade, it's claimed Robin Williams, it's claimed some of our most notable lights, and we're going to talk about the newest treatment modalities with a world expert. We're going to have an expert on Mars colonization, we're going to have the Minister for Climate Change from New Zealand, we're going to have one from WeWork, and we're going to have an episode on dietary fats, nutrition, and keto diets. So if you want an email when these podcasts or new books or videos drop, Please join my email list, paul at paulgibbons.net, or the the website is paulgibbons.net, and there's a sign up button there. Get subscribed to the podcast on iTunes and other places. You can rate it, please, on iTunes if you like it. Tell me that you did rate it, and I will send you a free book from a best selling author. And so now onward with today's show. Almost a decade ago, I had traveled to San Diego to play in a World Series of Poker event. This kid sat next to me, headphones, beard, hat backward. I don't usually talk to poker players much, let alone 21-year-old college students, but this guy and I got on like a house on fire. Music, school, poker, economics, politics, psychology, the works. He was just 21. I was 50, but we've been great friends since. Daniel Blum, my young friend, has just toured Latin America in a school bus. Equipped with wireless beds, desks, Interviewing the rich and the poor, the artists and the politicians, indigenous communities. From this, he developed a podcast called On the Bus, which is a diary of the trip, and a video diary, which has some fascinating and very aesthetically beautiful videos. So, as you can imagine, for Daniel, it was a life changing experience, but there are also some immense themes of, I think, you know, interesting and great importance for to our times. His podcast, which I think has 60 episodes on the bus podcast covers crypto biohacking, urban living, dating culture, keto and other diets, millennial lifestyles, war and peace and more. He calls his guests the outliers, people living at the edge for what is possible for humankind and trying to expand our horizons. In today's show, we cover nomadicism or nomadism in the future, living and working seamlessly from anywhere. We cover a location-independent future, a technological world where nearly all the jobs can be done from anywhere and everywhere, connecting with anyone. We talk about a cultural bridge between the young and the old, sharing cultures across cultures from developing world to the first world through podcasts and YouTube. We talk about YouTube and the future of video. We talk about a world without borders. We talk about encounters with poverty, indigenous cultures, and extreme cultural difference. Before we start, I want to invite you to check out On The Bus Podcast on YouTube and on iTunes. I put a link to an amazing three-minute video that sets out what it's all about in the show notes. So, hey, Dan, welcome to Think Bigger, Think Better, buddy. Thanks for having me, P. This is a crazy thing, man. A year ago when I heard about this, like a bunch of health-minded, talented 20-somethings. You could do anything. You could be on Wall Street, you guys. You could be a professional poker player living in Las Vegas or touring the circuit. There are you guys. Uh, I think Brandon was a professional basketball player for a while. So, you know, you're not without your talents. The world is your oyster. You could do anything. So why this crazy journey? Why the sacrifices and income, sometimes health, sometimes physical discomfort, you know, being removed from family and friends. So what was your vision when you started out?
0: It's interesting because we had these past lives of poker player, college athletes, professional athletes, and those allowed us to have experiences that opened up our eyes to the world from traveling different countries to play our sports. And once you experienced that one time, it became something that we wanted to do with the future. So we both immediately in 2015 knew that this was something that we wanted to try out. It sounded crazy. Let's drive through South America and just experience it. So, we had this podcast. We did 40 episodes in the United States where we shared stories of unique people, outliers who are successful in whatever their craft may be. And from there, we decided to take the show into South America. Now, it started out when we went down there as just a podcast where we were going to share unique stories that we came across using the same model that we built here in the United States. But what's the most fascinating, important part of the trip was that we left it open, that we went down there and sort of allowed whatever experiences hit us to become a part of us. And then eventually turned into a production company where we were going on adventures, recording the experiences, where we have a documentary, where we created a YouTube channel out of this, and now sharing really vividly unique stories that we came across in not just our podcast, but in video as well. And we realized from doing this that we want that the future communities in the globalization that we're experiencing today are much more interconnected and we want to build out a platform and help connect these people much easier, share these stories from people throughout the world back home. And you know, these
2: people that you visited, and I mean, many of the people in Latin America aren't connected in the way that we understand today. And if they are connected, they're sort of connected abstractly, like through Twitter or through Instagram or something like that. You really wanted to record the visceral person-to-person you know, live, sort of immerse yourself. What's that expression you use?
0: Dive head deep into the, what was that expression you use? Dive head deep into the ocean. Don't come up until, you're, until you can't breathe anymore. <laughs> That's a great thing. And you talk about outliers. Like,
2: like what's an outlier? I mean, there was a Malcolm Gladwell book. I don't think you mean the same thing as he did. Like, what's an outlier in your world?
0: So I have this viewpoint of, you know, there's, there's certain people who push the boundaries of what we're doing as humans, who... Try to attain something new for humanity. Those could
2: be biohackers, crypto guys, alternative lifestyle, all we work is not in the traditional like
0: all of that stuff. All those entrepreneurs, athletes, rock climbers who are doing something no one else has done. Musk who's going to outer space, people who are expanding us in one way, shape or another. So that's the inspirational thing, like expanding the idea about
2: what it means to live a human life. Fantastically said, yes. All right, that's cool. You know you guys don't think small, right <laughs> no we're we're thinking, we're thinking bigger, wider, and better so there's people there's people on the edge, right people on the edge, so from your point of view, like all right, you know you did let's go let' us before we do the trip, but let's think about your forty podcasts before, like who out of all these crazy outliers, people living on the edge, expanding the idea of what it can be to be a human being, who is the one that like inspired you the most out of all of them <sighs> tough question well, it wasn't meant to be an easy question.
0: I've been extremely inspired by tons of guests that we've had on our show from from a biologist who's telling us what it would be like to evolve on Mars to a cryptocurrency, someone in the forefront of the cryptocurrency space who developed a wallet for you to store your money on. Yeah. But um, I think that if I had to choose the most inspiring person that we've had on our show. No, no, I mean, you know, I know it's hard. It's a, it's, it's a very difficult question. I myself, I like to think about um, biohacking and art. There's two different spheres, right? Right. Okay, cool. So we had a DJ on our show. His name was uh, DJ Billy Kenny. Mm -hmm. It was an absolutely uh, visceral, emotional show where he's sharing, he's a a well-known DJ. He's headlined a bunch of big festivals and uh, he's sharing sort of his experiences. We got drunk. And he's sharing his experiences. But not only does he share like the first time he, he got to play at a big festival, but he's also sharing what he puts in effort wise to create sounds. And he has one of the most unique sounds that I've never heard. So he's pushing the boundaries of sort of of the, music. Of music. music yeah, right. He, he yeah. came up in, in from nothing in a garage scene in in the UK and has now parlayed that into being in the United States and being headlining some of the biggest festivals. And, you know, he was talking about how he works, you know, some of the things maybe he shouldn't have said, but he was talking about how he ghost produces for, for younger guys coming up or how he does experienced guys and how he puts in X amount of hours per week. And he has, you know, one new song that comes out every two or three months, that's a big hit, but he's making four new songs a week. You have to go through that much and people often forget because they only hear the best of the experiences
2: yeah that's amazing so he produces 400 songs and a lot of those are quote unquote failures right they don't make they don't live to they're see in a library the, li- the light of day they're in a library they're on his hard right. drive or something like that but then one and that's and that's interesting because that requires a certain it's almost like poker tournaments right you know you're going to do poorly in most of the poker if you play 100 poker tournaments you'll do badly in 80% of them you'll do Exactly. Okay, okay, and another 15 or 17 percent, and you only do very well in three percent, and it's like that. So, that's an interesting you know, it takes an interesting psychology to survive all of that because 90% of what you're doing is on the cutting room floor. It's interesting. That is interesting.
0: What's fascinating about sort of the YouTube and the content creation sphere that I'm in is that you're going to put out tons of videos, uh, multiple videos a week, and podcasts. And what it takes is one in every 15 or 20 goes viral the one you never expected to go viral yeah of course the one you don't you're you're like why is this the one everyone's listening to but it's not every single one that catches on it's producing good content over and over again and then one of them is going to be something that people fall in love with that really resonates that really touches people or for some reason hits home and you you don't know why but if you're not putting out those big numbers and practicing and honing in your skill then i'm a firm believer you're not going to get there
2: and it's an interesting thing, because, you know, other professions, we're talking about the public profession, we're talking about the way your DJ friend operates, you know, like a guy with a batting average in the thing, well, he expects to get a hit one time in three. So he's getting a kind of an emotional reward, a dopamine surge, one time in three, you're talking about one time
0: in 300. <laughs> now, I wonder how many times that guy, I wonder how many times that that guy in practice misses, right? I wonder how many times right. in, the, in the batting cages that he has to, that he has to swing or, yeah, or wonder how many times as a kid growing up that he failed. So it's an important element to know that you fail over and over again, and then you can reach his pinnacle. And even when you're at the pinnacle of what you're expecting, you're still failing and people just don't know. And I think that's part of like, what's cool about your journey. So let's move on to your journey throughout it. But what's the what of your journey is you didn't,
2: you didn't really know. I mean, you didn't have a clear definition of success, I don't think. You didn't know how you would change. Uh, you didn't know how your values would change. You didn't know you had a a plan from the outset, but every time you touched another human being, heard their story or something like that, your own worldview is shifting and your goals are shifting and they're emerging and they're developing. And so I, I, I think that's cool. Gosh, you know, it's, it's hard to conceptualize this. I'm not bad at conceptualizing things, but uh, it's hard to get Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the bus journey. So you've got a 40 episode podcast. You've interviewed a bunch of outliers, crazy people living on the edge from the crypto world and the biohacking world. And there's that woman who's had the tinderella project Uh, let's you know perhaps don't have to go into that but there's there's so much and so then you get on the bus and talk us quickly through of the on the bus trip you're recording the whole time you're doing podcasts the whole time you're doing video stories the whole time what was the most vivid experience maybe let's i'll give you two what were the two most like vivid experiences of this journey
0: for me one of the first, one of the most vivid experiences. Well, I'll do two different types. Right. Okay. The first was we had a guy. On, we had a guy on our show. His name is Javier Rivera, and he's a world famous mural artist who gets uh, these giant birds and in introspective that he puts on walls. A, a mural. A uh, murals. He puts giant murals all over the world. He's been. He's been. Uh, he's worked for Starbucks. Everyone. Right. Gets. So he's been. He com- commissioned serious money to do murals, and you bump into this guy. Yeah, we connect with him, and we have him on our show for a bus stop, and then. One of the coolest things is he starts opening up about his pieces, what they represent to him. Now, I've met artists before, and very often they like to say it's open for interpretation. And while he said the same thing, he said, you know what? I'm going to tell you sort of why I do this and how I feel. So first he shared how he felt. But then the coolest part was we get off of our school bus there in Lima, Peru, and he grabs a can of paint, this world famous muralist, and he spray paints his face on our bus and signs it. It was just one of those like aha moments. This is why I'm doing this trip. This is what I'm looking for. This is the kind of person I'm connecting with. And they, you could just see how he felt for us and what we were doing and sort of to share that message. I hopped on Brandon, we hugged each other. It was just beautiful moment. And then, to take it another route, I'd say the scariest moment of the entire trip being a, a hard pressed thing to do is we were on a road in Colombia called the Trampoline del Muerte, which is, means the trampoline of death. Right. Right. It's, it's this road that's Got two extra feet on either side of the bus. We're the biggest vehicle on this rocky, muddy road. And it's
2: two way. It's, Presumably, there's dudes coming the other way.
0: It's well. it's almost it's mostly one way. So you, when people come, you have to stop and pull off to the. You can barely move to the side. And right, you, right, right, You reach each other to the head and you get out. And one guy's yelling, "No, no, no! You get out of the way!" And we're going, "No, no, no! You get out of the way! Oh, you get right. out of the way!" Right, right, right. So. And it's like multiple thousand feet drop off on the side. And the overhang on top of the bus is wet and mountainous. So it normally, it'll go up like a mountain does, but this one comes over the bus. So it kind of, the roof will hit the rocky outcrop. And I don't know how we made it through that thing. I don't know how we made it through five and a half hours on that, On um, but we survived. And I would honestly guess you die like two, uh, two to five percent. I thought I was going to die that day. But, right. <laughs>
2: Right. And then you did. uh, Tell me this. I know that you did one of your most downloaded videos is something that you did that could be seen as controversial. But tell me this. Why did you want to make a video of the people who are processing cocaine was that in Bolivia or was, where was that?
0: That was it. That was actually in the Colombian Amazon. So it was important for us to share different stories for different regions. And Colombia is well-known back at home, back here for people. People can often be scared. When, when I tell my mom about this trip, she's like, oh, worried about. But we wanted to show the new and improved Colombia. And, and also the way that things might be portrayed. But we want to show the correct way of them being portrayed. So cocaine obviously being one of the biggest things that that Colombia is known for, we went in, we found um, how it's being operated today. And I mean, it houses scary
2: to me, like yeah. to even go into a world like how do you find people who are manufacturing this stuff? I mean, that in itself is scary. These aren't the friendliest people in the world. It's, but you were welcome. We
0: wanted to show that that we were welcome. That it that it's not it's not run by narcos anymore. That it's run by businessmen who have their own houses out in the jungle and who are extremely friendly. They're open to giving tours. And um, they're making the product much smaller, f- and. Uh, but, but
2: is it the no, product legal anywhere? I mean, I mean,
0: is, is cocaine legal uh, in Colombia? No. So they're living outside the law. now are they? Are they? Are they're, they? are living outside the law, sure. Yeah. But um, it's something that. So there's a rebel groups called the FARC, and the and they just signed a peace treaty with the government. And then mm-hmm. you have the ELN, who's now the taken over and then you have other other paramilitary groups. So you still have those guys in control of some of the drug trade, but it was important for us to show what, what it's actually like and how it's, we wanted to show what it's like to be made, how it's being made today. Yeah. And then we wanted to show the story a little bit behind the scenes of of where it's being made
2: and i guess the people who are making it are are real people i mean there's a big difference between the narcos that you'd see on the netflix series narcos you know the, the people who are the vicious criminals who are in charge of the import export and the finance and the billionaires at the top of the business and the person who's actually there getting their hands dirty i mean you tell their story you're not telling the story of the narcos, the billionaire narcos criminal guys. You're, the,
0: you know, the peasants, the farmers, the yeah, the it, workers. The workers. It's a, it's a post-narco era. The narcos have, the government's done a good a decent job of handling that. And now it's being operated a little bit differently.
2: I mean, that's wild. And I'm invite all my listeners to check that out on, on YouTube just for curiosity to see, you know, what happens on the front end. And then also sort of in the more legit, you know, alcohol is always the more legit. You turned, you visited some place where wine was being made. You got to make some wine.
0: We actually we, we not only did we hit a brandy farm and plantation in uh, in Colombia, but we also hit the Chilean a vineyard in Chile, underarga Farms, one of the biggest in South America, and um we got to see what it's like to to make wine across an extremely diverse geographical region, and I would say now that I'm a a grape connoisseur after this trip, <laughs> we were trying grapes in all different regions, all different types of grapes. It's, it's actually fascinating. For me, there complexity. are two types of
2: groups. There's white and, and, and <laughs> I used to think that. Right, 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 okay. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, I mean, uh, you talked about the trampoline of death as being a horrible and frightening experience, but I mean, I guess there were some other horrible experiences. I mean, one of the things you guys did is you bra- braved a lot of uh, health scares. I mean, wh- which one of those health scares was the most horrifying on your trip?
0: It's true. So I got Giardia, Salmonella and another one called is hominis and a few others. Brandon almost lost a pinky toe sandboarding, and um, I think that one of the things I learned from this when I got those stomach diseases was I learned about the healthcare system in South America. I learned about it in Peru. Brandon and I both went through the gauntlet for a full month. What's your overall impression?
2: You can't just fly home, or maybe you could have fly home flown home, but were the, you in good hands? You I feel? mean,
0: so so there's, it's very it's very different. I in uh in Argentina, yeah, when I had pneumonia extremely the slowest system i've ever been a part of i could just start drawing you a picture but i'm not going to yep. but the doctor on the other hand was phenomenal phenomenal doctors well done they took good care of me slow system and this is all free interestingly they did, yep. they, did, they cast you so they have they have national health service so peru peru wasn't no peru wasn't free so colombia i got taken care of in any issues that we had but in peru we went out and we got private health care and even that they didn't do A fantastic job. They told Brandon that he, when he had his toe almost picked off, he got some stitches in Eco. We went up to Cusco and then they told him that he ate a fungus when he didn't actually have a fungus. So right. he's putting a wet cream on so for two to three days, making it worse. Making it worse, right. Making it worse.
2: So, so really a super mixed experience of Latin American healthcare.
0: But there, there's a takeaway from it, and it's that each one of these regions experiencing their own difficulties, their own benefits, their specialists in their in their own way. And I learned from the story, the experiences that I took away from the trip are not so that I could judge. Yeah. It's so that I could understand the people better, and hey, I could share yeah. their story better, and I could... And I can tell people back home where we can work together with them.
2: Yeah, you weren't sitting around saying, oh, you know, if I was in America, you know, and all that. It sounds to me like you really wanted to listen rather than judge. That's an important part of this cultural tourism you were doing. Tell me this. I know you met people from different cultures. You met the rich and the poor and the artists and the businessmen. And and you were in, I think, six different countries. But six different countries conceals how many different communities and cultures because, from our point of view up north, Los Nortes, you know, this is all Latin America is a monolithic culture. It's like Latin culture, but you visited six countries and there are different cultures and communities in all those countries. So I don't know which of those for you, did you, did you like the best? Like, where did you feel most welcome and the people were most warm and, and giving and, and where perhaps, you know, the opposite experience took a sort of cultural clash or cultural disconnect?
0: Great question. Um, I think first, it's so important to know that they're extremely diverse in our country. Colombia has five or six regions, and you could go in there and be in a completely different universe from each one. And um, I learned that very quickly. And I learned that they have different foods and dialects, and the way they think about the world is extremely different, even interregional. So once you kind of understand that people are, are different in that way, it allows you to adapt to their culture. Like it allows you to be taken in. I learned a valuable lesson from Anthony Bourdain from his show. He's one of my heroes. And it's, it's that when you go in, if you go in without expectations and you just ask people the simplest questions, they're going to open up to you Mm -hmm. and you just start asking people like, um, once you get past the pleasantries, you know, why do you make this food this way? Like, what did your parents teach you? How did, you know, what's your viewpoint on love? What's your viewpoint on, on some mm. of these simple things? And it's very different. You get very different answers. A Chilean thinks about the world sort of the way an American does. It's very different than the way that, a, a, an Argentinian thinks about the world, the way they're different that a Bogotanian thinks about the world versus someone from Cali. And, um, I love immersing myself so I can take that back home now. Clashes? Hell, heck yeah, we we clash with people. We clashed especially with Bolivians and the coastal Colombians. They, I they still. I mean, from There's my a lot of resentment against exactly. white, white
2: white Westerners. You know, cultural history of oppression, cultural history of domination, cultural
0: history of slavery, exactly and all that kind of stuff, and that legacy really lives it, on. It it very much does. It very much does, and I. I don't take it as a it was a bad experience. I take it as a learning experience. The same way, it's it's important that I'm for for all on the bus for our podcast productions that we're able to convey how these people think and experience the world. Because eventually, someone's going to want to do business with Bolivia. How are they going to do it? Well, eventually, someone's going to want to connect with a story of someone in Bolivia. How are they going to be welcomed? How are we going to show them welcome? It's going to be different. The way that I take care of a Bolivian person is going to be different than the way that I take care of a Colombian. Mm. And um, I know that's a, a big clash here in the United States, but eventually we're becoming global. And it's important that we are able to, you know, share the world together and know that people have experienced culture in a different way. So if you could do a transplant, if you could take
2: one aspect of the culture of one of the countries that you were in. And transplanted into the United States, which do you think is the most enviable oh, of all the countries in all the culture? Easy, all, right, easy, all right. All right. All right. Easy. No, passion.
0: Break, it, break it's just, it down. It's just so, pa- it's just passion.
2: So that's fascinating. Passion. Well, say, I mean, say more about what you saw and then say maybe more about why you think it's
0: missing. From our culture, okay. So the United States is an extremely individualistic culture, where capital—it's sure, proudly, yeah, proudly—and and, and I, I think it has its, it has plenty of merits and benefits in technology driving and competition, personal ambition, personal ambition, ambition those things. Yeah. But there are things missing in community and especially we don't really do communities no we don't we don't do community but but it's not it's not necessarily about the community it's it's the idea it's the way that they're that they're driven about the things that they love the people that they love they really express it and it shows together like you're in the streets of Colombia and everyone there're plenty of people all over South America especially Colombia where they are asking for money and in the United States, you just drive by. No, people don't care very often. Uh, homeless people, let's buy them a shelter or something. But in Latin America, people, my taxi driver who has no money is stopping and giving them money. Right. Because it's, very collect- it's a collective community and right. extremely driven. And when you ask them about why they do that, they give you passionate, heartfelt answers. They need a leg up. They need help. If you ask them about why do they love their work, they are going to give you a passionate, like – like The way that they look at you sometimes, they look at you in the eyes like you're the greatest thing in the world. And and they do that to each other. And it's because they truly care. And the funny story is that's why a lot of the Colombians will have a hard time with people from Bogota because they're a little colder. Right. So they'll constantly say, oh, except people from Bogota, they're cold.
2: <laughs> right. So, well, that's what we say about New Yorkers,
0: right? <laughs> and Bogota calls himself the New York of... Of Latin America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Colombians,
2: super-duper warm. I'm curious. You know, I've not got much experience of Latinos, Latinas, Latinx, which you like to call them, and something like that. So I don't have the visceral experience of immersing myself in that kind of warmth and that kind of passion. You know, I've been a Western European my entire life. So uh, it's interesting. You're describing it in abstract terms, but I bet you can't really get it until you're actually face-to-face with it. It's one of those things that just doesn't abstract very well. And you tried And...
0: You know, I don't know. I don't know how I could teach um, that form of passion over routine. And it's how your video diary. I mean, you know, we
2: now have, uh, you know, in the tradition of Anthony Bortain, the great travel diaries, you have a a podcast uh, diarization of this trip, and you have a video diarization of this trip. And, you know, you have plans to make that. Let me ask now, you know, what's the vision? Like, where are you going with the podcast travel log? Where are you going with the video dialogue? What's the big picture? What, what would be a home run for you now that you're back?
0: So, you know, Brandon and I are firm believers in the shared economy and the connection of the future. And, um, we're working on a few different things. The first would be season two of our show. So right now we have, we just released our biggest video to date. It's a trailer for the upcoming pilot that we're, um, looking to get funding for a second season so So
2: before we go any further why don't you tell people right now what do they have to type into youtube to watch that three and a half minute clip which by the way is one of the most touching inspiring aesthetic things that you'll watch three and a half
0: minutes on youtube you may cry yeah yeah you may cry it's 10 months it's called 10 months driving through driving a bus through South America, travel inspiration, travel inspiration, 10 months,
2: driving a bus through South America. Okay. So find that on YouTube listeners. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I interrupted you. I wanted to, that's the trailer for, but could this be a Netflix documentary? Could CBS pick it up? Uh, Could I, mean, you know, like a big production company pick up season one. I mean, if you got the the materials to, you know, to do
0: something like that with season one before season two, that's exactly where we're at right now. We're cutting together a pilot for, from season one, um, so that we can sell it, sell it as a documentary for uh, four episodes, and sell that as season one. And we're in talks with a few different companies. Are we hooked
2: up at Netflix or any of these big production. Companies, you know I, mean? I won't,
0: I won't say anything out loud, but we're in talks with some good companies to sell the season two. Yeah, and um, we're going to do it in you know a harder place, and India, what are you do, India, Russia, Mongolia, Russia, a, a little bit harder, but somewhere that speaks English has technology at their hands. Um, you know those kinds How of things.
2: How did you manage the language barrier? I mean, your Spanish is good. Brandon's decent as well. I mean, how did, did you did you struggle with that we're, at
0: all? We're funny guys. Uh, in the beginning, it was definitely a struggle, but Brandon has a a way of talking with his hands. So while I know more Spanish, he would he would just talk with his hands and sort of use language to poke fun at, the, at their yeah. culture and it, it actually works. Like People respond to that. Yeah. They, okay, this is, this American's Ooh. talking well, to me. what would you do in a
2: country where you didn't speak a language? In Russia, in Mongolia, or, or Western China, or the rural parts of India where they don't speak any well. And well India's, that's,
0: that's part India's of our...
2: Actually, India's actually, India actually, you find a lot more English. I mean, you'll find that English is very much a second language over there because of the colonial history or something like that. That might be a, an interesting place to tackle for just... And it's an, and it's an amazing country. I mean, 1.2 billion people and And it's fast and that would be a cool place. But one of the things that struck me about this is that, you know, there's the United States that people who are non-Americans see through the movies and three through television shows like Dallas, I'm Revealing My Age, you know, the Housewives of Beverly Hills and, you know, and, uh, you know, network television shows and something like that. And there's the America that I don't think is seen. And it's the America that elected Trump. It's rural America. It's working class America. It's the coal mines of West Virginia. It's the steel mills, those that still exist in Pennsylvania. It's the farm communities in Iowa. It's, you know, the ranchers in Oklahoma and uh, something like that. People who are off the grid. I mean, are you, have you guys thought like, shit, maybe we could do this in the United States and discover parts of the United States because right here at home, in the United States, home for you, less so for me, but you know, right here at home. There's the undiscovered country. There are undiscovered cultures. There are people that don't have a voice. There's all that. Have you guys thought about that?
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's extremely fascinating because there's this, between us, there's this teetering between challenging ourselves physically, which would be going outside. Did you have enough of that already? No, we're going to have to do it again. (laughs) And knowing here that there are those stories that we want to connect, that we want to share, that we want to dive head, head deep into and bring them to the forefront of the globalization of the world that we talk about technologically.
2: Yeah. I mean, this connecting people is just really such an amazing theme for what you do. One of the other themes that I'm fascinating with is, is is you guys are outliers, of course, in your own right, right? I mean, you know, you know, we're in a world, the last three decades, transformation of work where, you know, the work paradigm was that, you know, you suited up, you put on formal clothing, you went to a, an urban, usually urban place to work. And you worked in an office in a fixed environment uh, from eight till six or whatever you worked. And then you went home. And, you know, obviously we've seen remote working come up in the 1990s. We've seen uh, the rise of the hub movement with people like WeWork, which someone else I'm gonna, we're going to try and get on my podcast. And we've seen these environments. But you're taking that a step further because I think the way that people divide their lives into boxes, there's kind of the vacation box and there's the travel box and there's the work box and there's the I'm a soccer dad box and all of that and what you wanted to do I think if I I don't I'm putting this in my words maybe you put it in yours to help me out is you wanted to create an integrated life where your working life and your travel life and your social life and everything like that were connected like it didn't there wasn't there weren't these clear boundaries mm-hmm. and so you were working from the bus right that's, it's You weren't just getting drunk and partying and, you know, hanging out with the locals and nagging out. You worked your butts off when you were down there.
0: You're, you're spot on. I like to think about it like this. Over the past 20 years, we have connected ourselves through our devices yep. of laptops and cell phones. And I call liquid, it liquid software. Liquid software. Li- liquid software. Li- I call that part liquid software. We've, yeah. we, you can use fax machines, talk to people, email. All those things have been connected into one thing. The next step from there naturally seems like, the hardware, our physical lives. And right now we have our house, we have our car, we have our family, but other parts of that are singular in one location. Your house is stuck in one place, your car is stuck in one place, your family is in other places. So when I talk about liquid hardware, I'm talking about making those things accessible from anywhere. And the start of that is already happening with the shared economies. You have Uber sharing your cars, you have shared parking spaces, you have airbnb sharing houses you have we work sharing work locations different places we're taking it to the next step because we see the future and think that it's going to be way more integrated down the road and we're trying to get us there so what did the bus look like like i mean i want people to
2: check out your youtube channel so this isn't an excuse not to do that but sort of give us a picture of like what the inside of the bus looked like
0: all right so so the bus <laughs> this used, is a yellow school yeah, bus it's right? a yellow 28 foot yellow american school bus the mid size one It well actually ours is black and uh, orange so it looked more like a prison bus which i think really helped us in some bad neighborhoods but besides that you walk in and you've got the driver's seat and then we created a oval table with an l bench and the whole purpose of this was we had we work in mind we wanted this to be a collaborative workspace so you'd we,
2: have half a dozen of you around this this oval table talking talking
0: working, having podcasts working, working yeah. computers while we're on rough roads you right. know etc we had wi-fi that we would bring it worked in some places not in others and then we have a a futon on the the left we have our our kitchen sink in the back right we've got cameras set up in certain locations to to keep track of what we're doing and then we've got three bunk beds in the back and then one comes they're like l bunk beds and storage space underneath the beds we've got hammocks that you can pull out the futon pulls out so we've slept up to eight people in this little bus which is Hell of an experience. It's like being in summer camp.
2: Yeah, that, that's amazing. And look, I said to you something that was kind of offensive to the other day. Why not do it in an RV? It'd be more comfortable. well So why the bus? Why not the? Why not an RV? Why not something more, more comfortable, more traditionally comfortable?
0: I think it's more along the lines of a metaphor. Yeah, and you know the story of on the bus goes back goes far back. without getting into too much details, the metaphor is the bus. Is a thing that's going to take you on adventures, to camp, to to different experiences, right. and then you've got the bus driver, who's the guide on your on your crazy journey, and then my nickname's the bus owner. I'm the ones who sort of ensures that things are being done the right way, done properly. Um, and have a routine and structure and that we're accomplishing something from it, that it's right. not just a rogue trip through a vortex where yeah. you lose your mind.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of that written. Uh, there's the travel, great travelogue, of course, that was written in the 1950s in the United States on the road by Jack Carow, Jack Carowak, which is obviously one of the great pieces of, uh, one of the great pieces of american fiction well i think it's really a fiction because he certainly lived his life like that so so you're in a way i mean this does harken back slightly to beat generation is that they were also experimenting with alternative lifestyles in the 50s and 60s and you're doing a, if you will a 21st century version of that let me ask you about nomadism nomadicism or whichever you however you care to describe it what's that
0: so nomadicism is, you know, traditionally it would have been someone who doesn't have a home, right? It's just someone who's just traveling around, living in different places. So we've expanded on and this. And there
2: are communities that have lived like that historically. They, they're called pejoratively gypsies, the Roma in Europe, uh, something like that. They're communities that are called travelers in Ireland. So well, now historically the movement, there are that, yeah.
0: There's the movement of the digital nomads. The digital nomads. The digital nomads. The digital right. nomads. These, are, these are people who live the same lifestyle, but they work from the road. They have... Good jobs where they work hard and they're trying to help the world progress in some way, shape, or form. Often they're coders, they're business world. Mission driven. Yeah. And so we want to show that and and so this has started with like the WeWork community. There's hubs in in uh, Medellin and Bangkok and all over the world where people go, live, work. Well, we wanted to take it a step further. Mm -hmm. Nomadicism, we love that lifestyle. We want to be able to travel and see new things and connect with new people. Obviously, that's a theme here. But We wanted to be able to do it from anywhere instead of just having to go to Medellin. We in the future and we're, part of our business model for the future the business plan is we want to be able to do it from anywhere, build wifi from, from our transportation system. Hopefully five, 10 years from now, we'll be able to be in the Amazon remote Amazon with wifi, uploading YouTube videos and connecting with another influencer who just did a, did a video with us that day while doing email. And then the next day we're in, we're on a riverboat somewhere. Right? So we are trying to, our goal is to bring that idea to the future. I, and I got to tell this story. I have a very close friend of mine from home. He's always said that he loves travel and I'm like, why don't you do that? You know, why can't you do this? And he's like, I can't. He's a commercial real estate agent. I have to show my properties to my clients and they like in-person meetings and I can't show them a the property from anywhere. My future, the future that of nomadicism that we bring them to is he's able to virtually show off his brick and mortar space from, we'll say Medellin and while he's hanging out with his wife and then he can have a, a meeting with his client. And then the meeting with his boss, and then he can enjoy the rest of his day. And then the next morning, he can wake up and do his finances for his clients and in Excel and send it off to his secretary. And they can all have a group meeting in Google Hangouts. And like that's the the future that I see is that we're not location dependent. Yeah, and that's the way we've been moving.
2: And this is just you know the next version of that. You yeah. know, the Sort of remote working 3, 3.0. Look,
0: if we're going to be a space faring. Uh, uh, humans right here. We're going to have people on Mars. We're going to be able to send things back from Mars. So we're just taking, we're just, we're just ahead of game. I think.
2: Well, that's cool. Well, (laughs) I'm interested in Latin American culture. Obviously you visited some inner cities. I want to hear about your impression from the, you know, the worst areas you went, the poorest areas you went, what your experience of the people was, you know, what you saw that opened your eyes to some of the, you know, one of the things that concerns me is global poverty so what did you what did you see there what were the the worst places the most unhappy people the most de- deprived people as you saw on your journey
0: i was i was struck by the coast of colombia from barranquilla from sort of uh these are fishing uh, fishing communities or what are they these are colombian communities but they more identify with they more have uh, caribbean roots Uh and they so so, they're darker skinned yeah the the poverty is extreme between between boundaries the inequality like barranquilla is literally split in half it's a very peaceful calm city the north is wealthy Uh and the south is extremely poor and when you cross the when we crossed the line with the bus was one of the most intense experiences I've had because there's people in the streets it's all over the streets there, it's dark there's it's got food all over the place it's trash and one of the things that I experienced in multiple places was the. Poor water. They have they have horrible water. You, right. I, I come back and I had an argument with a friend, and he, he was sent complaining. I, I won't say complaining, but he's he's upset about uh, I guess Dasani or, or the plastics or something that's sure. used in the water here. Yeah. But in perspective, for me, it was these people don't have water at all, and what what are we like? We're bringing ourselves into the future in the, here in the U.S. Don't get me wrong, but how can we help these people down here who don't have access to water? Of course, they're going to hold resentment. I expect them to hold resentment for certain people that they think might have done this to them, might have held them down. Maybe it's their government. Maybe it's people who colonized them a long time ago. But I was really struck at, by how kind people were in the same sense. That's, like, that's an amazing thing, right? They're extremely kind, even though they're poor. They're kind to each other. They might not have been kind to us, but they were kind to each other. That's the important part.
2: You know, I visited Russia in the... Uh early 1990s before Glasnost and Perestroika and and any of that really before the emergence of modern Russia. And we visited a university campus and we visited some students on that, and you know, we visited this place and I was like, where do we go to party? Where do we hang out? You know, what can we, you know where, where, where can we go? And we went back to someone's extremely modest, Jesus, says, my toilet or my, my clothes closet. And we hung out in this person's room and their version of entertainment was they uh, didn't have access to, to music uh, players or anything like that. They played their own, right? They picked up a guitar. But what struck me most by these people who were poorer than people that I'd hung out with ever, ever in my London life, you know, were that the generosity we left there, yeah. they, it was offensive to them. I would like, Oh, no, 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 I can't take that. So the guy gave me like this precious recording of a Tchaikovsky concerto as a gift. Amazing. He gave me, you know, here's some foodstuffs. Uh, what's that almond paste called uh, almond that, paste? Uh, yeah, some almond paste so that. I, I find it. I mean, they just gifts, generosity, generosity. And I was struck with like, these guys don't have shit. And they can't give us enough. They can't give us enough of their time. They can't give us enough of, uh, you know, physical gifts or anything like that. And the generosity of them. We don't normally think of Russian people as being inclined in that direction. But I found out that on the ground, these, these poor Russians were among
0: the most generous people I've ever met. That's that, That's the thing that it pick up from. It. You see the impoverty, you see the crime, and then you also see the generosity. In you, and, and it makes you wonder, you know, why are they experiencing those negative things? Is it because yeah. they're po- is it because the crime is up because they're poor or because they have to turn to that life you know what i mean so when you see the generosity it fills your heart yeah i was touched i still
2: remember it like almost 30 years later so let's uh let's look to the future we want a on the bus season two we want uh you know what's the what's your mission now or the mission of the team now what projects are you involved in what's the next 18 months look like for you man
0: Great question. So first selling, selling, uh, the
2: biggest goal is. So you to, want to commercialize some of this, right? Yeah. I mean, you've had a year, you had no income, you were living on fresh air, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. So now you want to commercialize some of this. Exactly.
0: Yeah. We, the, we have the concept, we have the content. We want to sell a second season, get funding mm-hmm. so that we could do that. We Are you still Kickstartering or what are you doing here? So we have the option of doing a, a bigger Kickstarter. We were successful in the first one. We're also How much did the for, first Kickstarter do? 14,000. Yeah, that's great. For and, season and two, we'd look to get somewhere around two hundred thousand to fund equipment to get a a bigger bus to go to because you're filming
2: this in, on GoPros and their limitations, right? You're, yeah, yeah. So it's you want to do you want to do it very you wanna, grassroots. You want to do you want to do it right.
0: Yes, it's yeah. so, it's a very grassroots I- idea, and that we're you so you funded the whole trip with fourteen grand. A whole trip, fourteen oh grand. I can if anyone wants to reach out to me, I can tell them how to run a Kickstarter. Well, you're rich. At,
2: we're, like, we're on a Kickstarter, but also, you know, how you frugally lived for nine months on fourteen thousand uh, dollars. You know, with gasoline, do that, yeah. gasoline and with food and with uh, you know travel and medical expenses were substantial, and you know all that kind of stuff. I mean, that doesn't sound like very much money for. I mean, there were sometimes only two of you, but there were sometimes more on the bus. There,
0: there were four almost at all times.
2: So, so four of you lived uh, fourteen grand traveling through six countries over nine months on fourteen grand.
0: The fourteen, no, the fourteen grand got us down there. So it paid for the bus. It paid to convert it. It paid to sh- get shipped across the seas. It paid for um, our virtual assistant that we had that was helping us out, and some of the other little things. But so, what you money me- after that was just money we saved for this first trip. Oh, okay, right, yeah. right, right. That's an amazing story. So our company is a little split, right? The first one we've gone over, we have the season two that we're looking to sell so we can get on the road and everything that goes into that. We also have, you know, it's also important what's been come out of this is that we're building a network. That's our whole ideology is networking with people. And we're building a network for people, for content creators to not only have access to other influencers and other content creators, but other places to share themselves. So our YouTube channel has opened up itself to be a place for people to, sh- for content creators to, sh- to gain access to a new audience. So for instance, we have a friend, he's an up and coming comedian and we're giving him a playlist on our YouTube channel to put all of his comedy videos in in, in there. We have another friend who is a, he's been growing rapidly in the movement industry, f- movement for a body. It's like a fitness sure. technique. Sure, sure. And um, he's, putting together once a week videos for our channel. So we're giving them place, but not only that, we're allowing them to collaborate with each other, a comedian doing sketches with a movement person. So they get access to each other's audience. They connect and make new friends. And these are two people who are trying to change the world and share things with people. So on that, we have blogging on our website and um, we're working on consulting with companies. We are working with an app and putting, giving them uh, people to put into their sort of immersive reality TV app. And the future is what I like to call we're nodes. And all these people we've networked that have multiple hundreds of thousand subscribers, we want to be able to connect and collaborate across industries. We want to take someone who's a YouTuber with 150,000 subscribers and connect them with a uh, professor who understands AI and have them collaborate and work together.
2: Amazing yeah I may, I may that's
0: the so. that's the vision
2: who would you most like to connect with like if there were someone in my audience or someone one of my listeners who was connected with somebody who might be able to connect with you and support your cause in an interesting way like something like that who would you most like to hear from you know i mean are they producers are they financiers are they people who are fellow outliers fellow travelers jesus
0: uh, the, the, the whole our whole thing is we, i just love interesting conversations with right. unique people so so if you know anyone who's extremely interesting connect me with them if you know someone who's in the production world for video and you like our idea of two wild adventurers traveling throughout the world to share stories connect we'd love to, you know help us produce what we're doing and then lastly if you know the three people I'd love to have on our podcast the most one of them would be will Smith or his kids right right Elon Musk I would love to have obviously anyone in the in the musk sphere <laughs> yeah and then um uh, Sam Harris so Sam Harris so someone Val Harari, I love Harari uh, you know we're if you can connect with any of those people, I would love to. We would love to talk to them on our show. Will yeah. Smith, I might be the only one going for Will Smith, but or his kids, either one. They're and fascinating. What inspires you about Will Smith? Cause he's an interesting character. What's right about Will Smith? Besides,
2: you know, great actor, funny guy, great, you know, great. Besides, humanitarian. He's
0: a he's a he's a unique content creator. So number one, he's been a comedian. He's been a rapper. He's been just an overall interesting person. Some of the stories about him from the streets about his about his actual life, the way that he thinks about the world is sort of how did I, he come up did he come up poor honestly I, i'm gonna need him on the show to answer those questions okay cool all right
2: we got we got that so listen uh i want to I've, I've already mentioned in the intro to the show places people can find you let let's let them hear it from you so where do they find you on your two main channels are instagram and youtube is that right
0: all right well our podcast is on the bus podcast on itunes spotify
2: okay so and that can be found by Google, putting it on the bus in itunes and
0: you literally type in On the Bus on Google or iTunes and you'll find uh, us. we will be po- the first up, one.
2: Up it pops. All right. And I invite you to listen to some of those episodes. Your Instagram, what's that? That's On the
0: Bus podcast as well.
2: On the Bus podcast in Instagram. And uh, Daniel Blum
0: and Brandon Reese. Exactly. Okay, good. And YouTube channel. Where are we looking for on YouTube? type in On The Bus Podcast. Make sure you type in podcast on the YouTube. Oh, because there's other there's On a, The Bus There's stuff. a children's On The Bus. Oh, the on the bus, the bus. Go around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that takes right. precedent. And not you. No, they have like 15, <laughs> 20 million views. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kids love it. <laughs> so, hard to beat. Hard to beat. Haven't cracked that code yet. Yeah. On the other hand, if someone's
2: some poor parents Googling On The Bus and they come up with a cocaine video, that'd be the other way around. But anyway, we will have that happen.
0: And lastly, if you know anyone who you think is fascinating, whether they have an audience or not, and you think, and they're an outlier so, that's you're looking all, for we'll guests. You're
2: looking for crazy outlier guests, testing yep. the boundaries of humanity. Well, that's amazing. All right, good. So, people can find you in those places. I want to thank you. You know, it's, uh, it's been amazing watching your video, watching your work, listening to your work. And I just want to do everything I can to help you you know to the next phase of evolution of this if you uh wherever you go in the world i think uh, i'm going to take uh, a week and see if you'll uh, accept me on the bus as a passenger You're and uh, i like to broadcast from there for a week that would be something i like to bring my son also my teenage son he's welcome that's yeah. that's
0: one of the facets of what we're doing with the bus is we want eventually to be able to take people on these once-of-a-kind adventures that they've never been And we want a virtual reality channel you know, that's it's travel channel
2: that's funny i mean that's not the way you go it's not really a scalable commercial opportunity because you know you obviously have only one bus and you know you know only room for things and you know people aren't gonna it's it's not like space tour as more people are going to cough up a million dollars do you love for you'll for be able to it. scale
0: it yeah do you love you'll be able to scale it
2: oh that i mean that that is cool but certainly you can count me as someone that's on the team daniel i really appreciate this is different than any podcast i've ever done it's a different a different kind of conversation so i appreciate all you're doing all you're doing for the world it's cool Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks once again. All right. So, talking to Dan was tons of fun, and I hope you enjoyed it. He and I are fighting over a great book right now. I hasten to add, it's my copy of the book. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's Yuval Harari's Homo Deus. In it, he starts with the three problems towards which humanity has made great inroads disease, war, and famine. And while the game is far from won, even in some developed countries, those horrors are well on the retreat. So then, to what should humanity turn its attention in the 21st century? What will dignify our age? He thinks longevity, we might live to over 100, happiness, we overcome some of our evolutionary biological impediments, and as he puts it, becoming gods, artificial intelligence, transhumanism, and augmented biology. It is a bold vision. He writes beautifully, and the book is gorgeously illustrated. I cannot recommend it enough. For those of you who are also TV junkies, we live in an incredible age. While I wait for the next Thrones and Stranger Things, I hear Sir Patrick Stewart will reprise his role as Jean-Luc Picard. And if you don't know who that is, um, kindly unsubscribe. I saw a terrific Amazon series called Goliath, which sounds uninteresting on its face. Yawn, big time, famous lawyer, now a drunk. But it's played by Billy Bob Thornton who gets involved in a case where he uncovers deep military industrial complex corruption, which is covering up a non-suicide that is a wrongful death. The cast is so well-drawn, the acting and writing are superb, so I can't recommend Goliath highly enough. I've just finished that. So those are my media tips for now. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to write a review, share the podcast. I look forward to talking to a world expert on depression next week. Thank you very much. To celebrate the launch of the show, and thank you all for listening. I'm going to be giving away books, lots and lots of books. All you have to do is leave a review in iTunes. We're going to raffle off a book every single week for 12 weeks. So head on over to paulgibbonsnet slash iTunes to get easy to follow directions and let me know the title of your review to make sure that you're entered to win. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Think Bigger, Think Better. Great ideas are great, but this isn't gospel. Share your critical thinking in the comments. Where do I disagree? What insights were most powerful? If you got value, don't forget to share the value by sharing the podcast. Finally, to get information on book and blog releases and new video content, head over to paulgibbons.net and join the community of thinkers talking about using science and philosophy to make our world a better place.